Welcome to Moving the Needle, casual conversations about ways, big and small, to impact student learning. Brought to you by the Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. I'm Erin Hager. Let's move the needle. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Moving the Needle. Today, we're talking about the culture of academic departments. Every institution is different, of course, and the culture in one department may be very different from another. But how do these cultures come to be? How are they formed and fostered and maintained over time? What impact does a culture have on individual faculty members, and how does that culture trickle down and impact the student experience? Finally, what happens when a department is intentional about creating a culture of kindness? Let me introduce you to our guest. Dr. Glenn Canares has dental degrees from New York University and the University of Washington Seattle Children's Hospital. He serves as clinical director for the Division of Pediatric Dentistry and the assistant program director of the Pediatric Dental Residency. He is also the president of the Maryland Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. I think the way that Glenn structures his own bio gives a great sense of how he lives out his personal values. In addition to listing the impressive credentials that I just shared, his bio also says this. Dr. Glenn Canaris is a pediatric dentist, an educator, and a professional speaker. His personal mission as UMB faculty is to inspire students, patients, and colleagues to become the best versions of themselves. He is intentional about creating a supportive environment of trust and leads with kindness. Dr. Canaris is an American-born child of Filipino immigrants and was raised in a blue-collar community. Through his upbringing, he learned that no dream is too big to go after, but also that no work is ever beneath him. He values authenticity and empowerment, viewing the world through a lens of realistic optimism. I think you'll hear Glenn's core values and this sense of realistic optimism loud and clear in this conversation. Glenn, welcome to Moving the Needle. Uh, My pleasure to be here. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Okay, let's start by talking about um, academic culture broadly. Let's talk about your experience with academic cultures maybe before you got to UMB. How would you describe them? So I feel like um, an academic culture is like any other place. Uh, I know it is academics, but uh, it could be, let me say it like this, is that I think if you're in an office or a community health center or wherever I might be, Every area has its own set of like culture where one place you could work in a hospital, but it might be completely different than another one. So I say it like that because generally my my experiences and I don't know if it's built into how we develop as academics, but I'll say this. It it, it feels like there's there's a level of performance, right? So there's a high performance kind of feel or a low performance or anywhere in between. And I feel like that tends to be the the dimension that a lot of cultures look at in academia. Is this someone publishing? Are they on their way to get promoted? So high are they doing well with this? So high performance, low performance. But I'm going to add in this other thing that I've I've observed for myself is this idea of what is the trust level at? Is it a a low, a moderate, a high? And I. I share this is that I've worked at other places. I've I've been other places and, and maybe it isn't necessarily just academia. But the idea that I, I've, I've I don't know if I've always felt that level of trust. And that tend to be the 
has a huge influence in terms of what it means, uh, its effect on performance. So I would say in general, it's kind of like this high, moderate performing, depending on where you are in terms of performance. And then this level of trust that uh, hasn't been the highest. I, I'm just going to call it like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and since since on this podcast, we focus so much on teaching and learning, how would you say that that level of trust, whether it's high or low, how does that trickle down to the students? If a faculty member feels within their department, within their division, varying levels of, of trust and safety within that, how do you think that ultimately trickles down to the students? So I'll share my thoughts, and I think it's also grounded in some of my experiences. Um, I think there's something really nice about, about being in in postgraduate education, right? So beyond the undergraduate level, because you ultimately work with a lot of really successful students. These are students that have made it to that almost next level. You know, I when I first started, and I'm kind of, I'll get to your question, Aaron. So I just want to just share a little background. When I first started, I was I was really under the idea, like I'm really excited. I get to work with the top one, two, three percent of students because they're they're at this next level, going beyond their their undergraduate education. And that was my understanding, right? That that is my baseline expectation. And what I've noticed, is how I think it trickles down when you have a lower trust environment, is that gets muted. You know, when you have a low trust environment, I don't care how, it's not that I don't care. It's just what I've noticed is that as high performing as someone could potentially be or already is, that can be muted because you're worried about making a mistake and making sure no one finds out. Or I've seen it where, it, it, I call it the blame game. It's never anyone's fault, uh, but it might be something, it could be external factors, it could be something else, it could be how things were communicated, but it, there's the blame game type of thing. Um, and we have brilliant students here. I mean, this this I look at this as our future, and when there's a low trust environment, the other thing is I think any sort of creativity and innovation tends to get more stifled. Yeah. For fear of making a mistake, do you think? Um, that, that would be my thoughts is that, you know, because I felt it myself. I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of sharing my experiences, but also what I've observed as well. I think it uh, it's that thing, well, I got to be perfect and correct. And since there's low trust, there's there's not the trust that this could potentially be a teaching moment for me, whether it's internal or external or likely it should should be both the, the faculty as well as the student. Um, That's so interesting. You know, my I'm thinking about a personal example. My family, we're, we're a big sports family. My son plays um, sports at, at a pretty elite level. And it makes me think of the impact of a coach because you can have the most talented players, the most elite of elite, the all-stars, the selected from the best teams across the country. And if you put them in an environment with a coach that that scares them, um, then you can see it. You can see that on the field. You can see that um, kind of stifled, tense uh, performance level. And and I think you're circling this back and bringing this back to that feeling of trust really resonates, I think, in that environment too. Thank you for that that example, because I do see the parallels in the sense that if someone is learning something new, I, I would almost argue that the trust level needs to be much higher because there's a higher probability of things breaking down. So the difference between a bunch of little kids running around to learn to play soccer versus that at the professional level, the trust, the way trust is in, 
let me put this the way trust becomes can can become a higher level maybe a different method depending on the level but ultimately I, I agree with you I think that when you have less of that it, it, it results in you know going on autopilot or more stifled play right and yeah. it affects performance so yeah that's so interesting and it's um, it's it's interesting to think about that in the, in the context of like you said these graduate students who have really are the cream of the crop in terms of the the you know moving along the their educational journeys so talk to us a little bit now about the um the culture you're a part of now the department you're in um tell us about it when we talked earlier you mentioned some core values um in inside that division and uh could you tell us a bit about those and and how those are communicated yes uh very gladly so i Okay, let me put it like this. You know how when you, I'm not one that really likes talking about myself that much, but when you really love something and you're just like, oh my, I, I could go on and on and that, that's how I feel about my division. So I, I'm in the division of pediatric dentistry here at the, the School of Dentistry. And I just, I'm trying to find the right words. It is, without hyperbole, Aaron, I, I truly mean this, it, this is the best environment I've ever worked in for what I need to do. And like, I'm talking from my first job in McDonald's when I was 15 years old, all the way to my current position now as, as a faculty member here. And um, so to answer your first part of that question, I think what the really interesting thing is, and and it, well, I, I, I'm sure I can talk about this more, but really led from my my chairman is that there's this idea of leading with kindness here. And, and I wanna be very specific about kindness. Kindness is not being nice. Being nice to me uh, is, oh, I, I also wanna be nice, so let me <laughs> set that aside, but being nice is, is people-pleasing, is trying to, you know, uh, what's the word? It, it just, yeah, people-pleasing, like I, I want to just make you not feel uncomfortable, that sort of thing. That that that's being nice to somebody. And I think that's still good, but truly leaning into the idea of leading with kindness and setting as that as the first and foremost in our division, which is when you lead with kindness, we lead with what can I do to be helpful, right? Whether it's to the division, whether it's to one of my co-faculty, whether it's to our students, our residents, what can I do to be helpful? And that I think has set the tone for how we interact with each other, because being helpful may, uh, how do I put this? There's there's nuance to it, right? So as as a as a general broad stroke, it's it's trying to help elevate somebody else's uh, career or just help them out on a project or even help cover a clinic for short. That's that's helpful, um, but it doesn't mean that it can't be uncomfortable or that you have hard con you can't have hard conversations or have to. If, especially from a leadership standpoint, uh, when we're working or a teaching standpoint, that sometimes we need to guide our students or, or each other, really, in a way that says, hey, uh, I think this will be helpful. And maybe they don't see it. Maybe they don't agree. So I'm hoping that makes sense, that the yeah. difference between kindness and being nice. Absolutely. I, I, it makes me think of the work of Brene Brown, and, and one of her lines is, um, clear is kind. Right. And so sometimes giving that that direct feedback that, uh, you know, saying what needs to be said, that clarity um, 
you know, that is kindness rather than pretending like there's no problems and pretending like everything is okay and just kind of hoping nobody notices. Um, so I think that makes absolute sense. I, but I'd like to dig in a little bit on this idea about helpfulness because when you've got a big department and you've got multiple people with different personalities, uh, what's helpful to one is, is you know, helpful looks different, right? And so what interests me about this is that this idea of helpfulness, does it does it come from a set of share like a shared vision for where the department is going? Like we're all we're all different. We've all got different careers, but our our ship is sailing in this direction. And so I understand helpfulness in light of that. I agree. I think that it does need to be paired up, right? Because um, you can be super helpful, but if it's just a, if it's if it's not in in alignment. It's just really helpful people to work with. I agree with you. There's a way that it needs to follow something that shared vision. The way we kind of, you know, I'm sharing this because this is a conversation. This is kind of the daily, not daily, it's embedded in how we perceive things and where we want to go and through our chairman, through the other faculty here. It's 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 kind of rooted in values, core values. And the way we approach this, you know, I've been here for five years full time. I actually just had my last month was my five year work anniversary. Very exciting. And with the values, UMB already had values. You know, we, we I know we've changed, I think, within the last year. They were modified. But before that, we had another set of six values, five or six, I believe. And we, we looked at them and yes, of course, we want to live all the values and do all those things. But we looked at them and which ones resonate most for what we need to do for our division. Because where we were five years ago is different than where we are now versus even the beginning of the pandemic. And at the time, we said, hey, you know, the three of the, the values that UMB says it was um, accountability, excellence and collaboration. And we're going to lean into that. So how can I be helpful? How can I be kind when it comes to being accountable to, to promote excellence and to collaborate? And that's where we focused. And, you know, at the time, and I, I'm sharing my own personal experience from five years ago, we were a lean, we are a leaner division. We, we, in the past few years, a couple of years, we've actually hired a couple more full-time faculty, but we were a leaner division. And, we still had the stress of the like, oh my gosh, we got to get all the stuff that we have to run courses, we have to cover clinic, we have to do all these things. And we still had all those pressures. But by leaning into that, it gave us the focus on how to be helpful to our division, to each other, to ourselves. And what's really kind of cool is that throughout this journey, and this is my observation, like we've been very clear about those three values to lean into from UMB. That for the next, over the years, what I've noticed is that there is now curiosity, harmony, and service. These are values that I almost would feel are an extension once you've leaned into those. And this is for our division. When we leaned into those three, now we're kind of expanding it. And now, now these are things that I hope amongst us are also being transferred down to our students and our residents. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's almost like um, once once that foundation of those first three values had been laid, it it, it provided a, a solid footing for some of these other benefits to open up. Right, right. And you know, I will add this, Erin. What's really cool about it is that oh, I, I don't want anyone to think it's been a perfect smooth ride, right? It hasn't. But what's cool about it is that, you know, when something feels off, 
right? Whether it's it's just something you do. It's like something feels off today. Uh, and I mean that in a bigger so that we we can understand that personally. But when I when I say that in a bigger sense, if something's off about where things are going, right? And just like something's off, I me mean, just our students aren't responding as well, or there's tension here that I'm trying to figure out between faculty members or whatever it might be. It's nice to go back. It's a nice place to go back and say, okay, accountability, excellence, collaboration. How can I be helpful? How can I be kind? Right, and then that can inform our next decisions on how to bring it back. Yeah, and it also just the the vulnerability to articulate that you notice something's off. Right, there there must be a culture of trust to go back to to the first thing you mentioned to be able to say something feels a little wonky here. Like what's what's going on? Rather than just again brushing it under the rug, hoping no one right. picks up on the same vibe. Yeah, yeah. Like rather than be nice about it and saying, "Oh, everything's good." Yeah, exactly. I 100% agree. Oh, so interesting. So talk to us a little bit about how you got to this place. Um, did did this emphasis on core values and and kindness and helpfulness, did that happen organically? Was it a, a top-down, be nice mandate um, or through <laughs> some kind of experience? Like how, how did your division get here? <laughs> um, so... <laughs> It's because we're not perfect. That that's that's my overall answer, and I have some. There there are a couple key things, but it's because we we know we're not perfect, and probably never will be. And we're people, and things are gonna. There's always gonna be something that makes it hard. So, the first. This is my first. One of the first experiences I've. I, it almost made it forced it to happen. Was there was an accreditation visit, and this was. Uh, I guess 2018, and and this would be there's accreditors for our school, there's accreditors for medicine, you know, I'm for the whole campus, hospitals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's a stressful situation. So for anyone who's listening who has ever had to be part of that, it is stressful. It's literally palpable tension. People are walking around. It's it's it's, it's stressful. Yeah, I almost so, think that um, we should cut in the like the Jaws music when you say <laughs> there was an accreditation visit. Bum 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 bum. Yeah, right. Da 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 da. da, da. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was stressful. So, but you, you got to remember, I'm a new academic, right? Um, I, I I'm fresh to this, and there have been people in part of the division, and uh, how do I put this? So. With our division, uh, so the creditors go through, they evaluate our programs, all these different things. And for anybody who's been involved, you, I think you have, an under, you have a framework for that. And in the middle of the accreditation, there were a couple questions by the visitors uh, about uh, part of our, one of our programs, our, our programs for the, for the division, without going into too much detail. And uh, there were some things they were concerned about. And... The thing was, is this is, how do I put this? We could have been like, well, it's uh, it's on the chairman or the director of that program, like whatever. We're uh, we're gonna, I don't know. We'll just uh, leave it to them, and you know, if uh, if the, something hits the fan, then we're like, okay, it's it's on them because they're 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 in charge. But we got this notification about there being possibly an issue, right, in one of our programs and how we're going to address that and how we're going to respond to that. What was it? Four o'clock, 4.30 in the afternoon. 
I mean, so that's what I mean. It's not like this was like, oh, it is top of the morning on the second day and we have all day to work on this. We are fresh. We've been covering clinic or we've been, you know, you have to teach them classes, that sort of thing. So all that stuff doesn't stop when accreditors come. And it's the end of the day and we find out about this. And what happened is that rather than leave our chairman or program high and dry, we said, okay, what do we need to do? And I remember, and this is academics, by the way, this is not like, we're not in residency. So I remember for two nights, we stayed till like eight or 9 p.m. And I am not advocating staying late and like crunching it. And But the idea is that we came together and using what we could have and getting the information we need to respond appropriately. And I'm, I'm not trying to be vague, but I, because I don't want to go into the details of it since it was part of accreditation. But we were able to appropriately respond to the accreditors in a way that made sense that there's like, oh, that is why the program does it like this. This is the information they were able to get. So therefore, it is not an issue when it comes to accreditation. So we went from the potential of being, uh, I'm just going to put it out there, in serious trouble, not trouble, but something we're going to have to mitigate and respond to, to something that they, they understood because we came together in that moment. And that... For the first, and, and and there was this sense of, my goodness, when it really mattered, we came together. Yeah. So there was this level of trust, and it enhanced, and I will say that it infected this really high performance for this, quote unquote, crisis situation. Yeah. And um, I, I, as I talk about that now, that was really special to me because, like I had said, uh from my first job to, you know, all the different jobs in between and other places in dentistry, whether in practice or in academics, um, that was the, that it was different. I palpably felt something was different. And from what I understand, and there, there's something in shared struggle, but like I said, depending on your environment, sometimes it's like, all right, well, you know, it's not my responsibility, you know, it's tough everywhere versus, okay, let's make this, make this work. And for that, that in my core said, okay, this place is special. There's something going on here. And how do we make it better? It's such a great Um, story because, like, I mean, it truly is a crisis moment, right? And it could have gone 17 different worst ways. Um, but, But what I think is so powerful, too, is that that sense of collaboration and that sense of we're not leaving anyone in the lurch. No program directors left behind. Like, we're just going to figure this all out. But you you also had that immediate positive feedback in in the sense that you, that you were able to cut that problem off at the pass. You know, you were really able to resolve it. And so I wonder if just kind of that, you know, I'm just speculating here, but just that that energy, that adrenaline, and then to have it be like, yes, that worked. You know, this yeah. this approach really can work. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, ah, That's such a good story. Um, So, you know, you kind of had this crisis moment. Everyone, you know, there's this epiphany of, of this sense of collaboration and, and it really seems like it, it took hold um, and stuck around, right, after that. Um, what do you think are some of the day-to-day impacts uh, of this culture that it has for you personally? What, what benefits do you think it brings you as a, as a professional and as a human? Loaded question. I love it. <laughs> Loaded question. Um, to answer that, let me give a little bit of uh, context around my answer then. Is that, so, right, crisis happened, crisis averted, we came together, kumbaya, we're, we're this wonderful group, right? Um, the thing is, what was 
what's been interesting about the last five years in this division is for me is that it keeps getting tested, right? This idea that, cool, crisis there, then, I mean, COVID, worldwide crisis, but it affected us, especially, you know, we have, we're in division that works both clinically and also didactically with the students. So had all sorts of different effects. So it kept getting tested. And that idea of like, <laughs> are we really that much together, right? So um, because that kept getting, um, I guess, tested, it kept reinforcing it. Does that make sense, Aaron? Because mm -hmm. of it being tested and crises continue to happen, by the way, I, I don't want to, I'm not naive and we're dealing with some now. Um, but because it became tested and it became just more embodied, what it's actually created, and I'm going to use this word, my chairman uses it all the time, is this creative space for our division. And that, oh man, like, I, it, and it's more recent, but it's this beautiful creative space because yes, we're still dealing with the day-to-day. -day. Yes, we still deal with the crisis, but there's this sense of like, well, we're going to figure it out, work together and do it and see how we can be most helpful, right? So we've got that there. And that allows the space for creative. And, and that that is amazing because that is the thing I was talking about earlier with the students, right? This idea of like, you've got these really high-performing students. I would say, you know, I, fairly, I believe we're pretty good, fairly accomplished faculty, right? And it's this idea that now you're allowing for this creative space, this innovation. And that's come about for us in curriculum design. Um, that's come about in the way we, as best we can in terms of clinical teaching on the floor, on the ability to, to free up more time and thinking regarding uh, even administration, like administration, not just the, not the fun stuff of teaching and, and, and clinical work, but truly the, even the administration, right? The, the idea of like, oh, we can actually get efficient at consensus and move forward. Uh, yeah, and because it doesn't stop. It, 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 the, yeah. the, the problems will never stop. The issues will never stop. But it's really kind of nice. And then you get – and here's what's cool. I think that the chairman, the deans, the assistant, you know, all everyone there, they're, oh, these are our strategy people. But what this has is allowed is this creative space to say, oh, there can be strategy and vision and leading into the future and aligning at the level of a, a non-dean or a non-chairman at that faculty level, right? You know, we're, we're the ones that are curriculum design and teaching and, and you know, and in the clinics and all that stuff. So it, it's it's really cool. It's yeah. it's really nice to see how people come and lock and then go after what they truly care about. I mean, I mean, we're, we're a university. Uh, if you can do research in areas you actually are passionate about, but you're allowed that space and actually... Um, encouraged to be in that space and or or whether it's teaching or or just whatever i don't know exciting i just as you talk i just keep picturing this um this net under trapeze artists right that that the mm. culture in my head the culture that your division has built really serves as the safety net so that the people in the division can do the flips and make the leaps and and try these things and know that um, you know, when crisis comes, if we fall, you know, that net's going to be there. Or if we have to pivot for a moment and deal with COVID, deal with accreditation, whatever it is, that you'll still have that freedom to eventually go back and, and keep trying those new things. It's it's interesting. I think I, I think it's easy to think of culture and 
mission and and creativity is kind of moving in parallel but the way you describe it it's really the the culture really fostered that they're they're interwoven in a way that it seems like it'd be hard to untangle at this point yes i'm just processing that analogy because it's beautiful um and i'd not considered in that way and i love it because that's exactly how it feels that's so because right the a trapeze artist a job is to not fall off the handle that they're holding on. I, I don't know trape- trapeze yeah. artist terms, but for any trapeze artist, uh, artists listening, like, sorry, <laughs> I'm butchering it. My bad. The bar thingy. Uh, that's what it's called. Yeah, the, the, the bar. You, you hold on to the bar, right? Like, yeah, good. So really the job of a trapeze artist is not to fall off the bar. But what makes a trapeze artist beautiful, their work amazing, is the flips, is approaching danger and catching the other one. You know, and doing all these different things. So that's that's how I I love your analogy. I'm sorry, I'm like kind of like I'm loving this, is that we get to do the flips. And yes, sometimes we fall, right? It's not perfect, but there is that net. And I no longer and and it's almost like that's exactly what you said. We're always gonna hold on to the bar when we need to. That's our job, yeah. right? Not to follow. And we'll we'll continue to do that. But now we can start to start playing and then make I love it. Yeah. What we what we already do even more beautiful, almost even artistic. Yeah. We're just we're just gonna like turn into circus performers uh yes. in, a, in a health yes. profession setting. And it's a good thing we have lots of doctors around. So when we fall down, you know, we can, <laughs> That's true. We can and get I, I'm in pediatric dentistry, so we gotta play with you know, we gotta be <laughs> interesting for these kids anyway. So <laughs> exactly right. We'll do it for the kids. How about the students? Do you have a story about how that uh this culture impacts them? So I, I've seen it extend out to our students as well. Uh, this this idea of leading with kindness. And again, like how I had said, it's the idea that kindness is being helpful, right? Not just being nice to uh, protect the student's, you know, ego or whatever, but more that it's truly to be helpful. So I was actually working with one of our residents. Uh, my, my resident had gone through a particularly difficult uh, clinical case. We, she had to do some extractions on a kid that had infections and just poor behavior. It was, it was really challenging. And when she was done, um, you know, wasn't perfect. <laughs> she was newer. But I had asked her, I go, so are you ready to hear feedback? What was really kind of cool is that there was another resident from another division that walked by and stopped to talk to me later in the day and says, I heard something that I've never heard before. You asked, I won't say the resident's name, but you asked her if she was ready to hear feedback. And the entire time she had this other resident had in another division had been a dental student, had been a resident, had never heard a faculty member ask anyone that. So I think it all, again, extends from that idea of starting with from a place of kindness and to be helpful. And when you really lean into that, it's that idea is that, well, I can be most helpful when assuming it's not one of those immediate things where you have to be like, this was an urgent situation. This was a critical thing that we need to address it right now. But in most other situations, this is something we can do when there's when they're ready to receive and hear. So I'm thinking about faculty and academic leaders who are listening to this and thinking about their own cultures and and maybe maybe they're thinking there's some room for improvement in their own in their own culture. Um, what would you recommend to them? How how would you suggest they start, start thinking about it, start start building this? I mean, we can't all have, you know, like a orchestrated crisis moment to get us there. But are there things that you've learned, you know, in your five years about culture that, that you think could 
could help a department or a division? So I, I do have a, a couple thoughts on it. And something as I've learned as a educator is, and, and even, and not even as, and also as a clinician is that, for instance, with our patients, when we, we tell them, you got to brush your teeth, you got to floss, you got to do this, you got to do this, you know, eat less sugary foods, yada, 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 right? We can give them 10 different things. And you know what? It's, it's actually more likely that our, our patients or the parents of our patients are going to do none of it because it's overwhelming versus saying, hey, your job is to, instead of, uh, so even if they're not brushing, or they're only brushing, your job is brush once a night. That's it. And the next time I see you, we'll see how you're doing that. And if you're able to do that, then we'll work on how you do it or adding it to the second time. And that we found to be more effective. So in that same way, that's how I'll answer your question, is that I think there are two components. And the first one, I think, is actually for anyone that isn't in, in a position to or, or, or anyone that just wants things to change in a way like this, is it all starts with ourselves. Right? We can tell other people, we can do whatever, but it truly starts with ourselves. And that's what I love with the idea of leading with the kindness. And kindness, again, I'll re-say, is that it's not about being nice or easy to work with or whatever. It's about doing something helpful for somebody else. And uh, the other part will be about the values to help align it, kind of what we talked about. But I would encourage that, you know, habits, right? Habits happen when you do more of it. So... <sighs> If you are in a position and I, you know, I can imagine if you're close, you're like, oh, we always need a little bit. I also have been in areas where it's like the, it feels like the opposite, but it all starts with us. So I would encourage is that find something you can be helpful with. And I'll share these examples of how I've received them or I have done for others is that uh, share an opportunity to join in on a research project, right? So especially if, it, if for those of us on the more clinical side, that's a harder thing to, to jump onto to get research going while we're also covering clinics or teaching or grading, creating and grading exams. So that's kindness. Um, connect, you know, my chairman did it, connect someone with a mentor. Um, or, or if you see a project that maybe, you know, it's too much for your plate, you know, this is, I think this is a really nice example of kindness because. Even in my time, and I, I, expect, I suspect some listeners are out there too, is that sometimes it's hard to say no when you've got like, oh, can you do this? He's like, oh, of course I can do it. I can do it. But truly, it's one of those where you can say, you know, I don't know if I have enough time for that or it maybe it's not in your area of strength. But I think one of my colleagues would be a great fit. That is number one, being kind to yourself because you're, you're not overwhelming yourself, but also being kind to, to, to one of your colleagues, right? Um uh, if there's in, so here's another thing is that I did, you had mentioned earlier, uh, Aaron, that idea of vulnerability, right? So to, if we're trap, I love the trapeze artist. So say we're trapeze artists and we're just continuing just to hold on to the bar and we say, I want to try a flip for the first time. And that might be a, a, a curriculum innovation or a way that you might want to do, uh, teaching clinics a little different is that I think you can be very kind by not, you know, scientific method and us in, you know, research, there's, there's a natural, and it's part of the process of skepticism or criticism, because we want to make sure the data, the, the science is good. But I would, I, this is what I would say, this is a really kind way to do something is that if someone is trying something different, experimenting, if you will, uh, rather than criticize right away, or say that won't work, we've tried that before, 
being kind can be say, hey, try it out. If, if you need some feedback, let me know or why something didn't work or why it did work. But I think that's incredibly kind thing. And it's a very simple thing, right? The other ones are maybe a bigger ask. But that's a very simple one is that if someone is trying to be a little bit creative or innovative to become better at something that matters like teaching or research or, or, or being a better provider, anything, you know, um, be kind in that sense. Support yeah. them, encourage them. Yeah, almost like sit on your hands a little bit and and just let the process unfold, let the flips happen, right. um, and then and then see what's needed. I love that, and I love the way that you f- focus that answer on what anybody can do individually. This isn't waiting for a new strategic plan. This isn't waiting for revised core values. This is nothing that is uh, passive, and it's nothing that requires anyone to be in a formal leadership role. But it truly is taking leadership. Uh, initiative to um, to allow your colleagues the the grace of maybe some quiet when they're trying something new or the you know some space or to pass along those opportunities to them. I just this is, this is really wonderful. Yeah, thank you, Erin. Uh, may May I add something else? I of was uh, thinking too is the the other thing that it's, again this is from my observation of things is that. We, we talked about values earlier, and like I said, UMB provides, literally provides them for us, you know. Um, but again, it's that same idea of focusing on something that we can focus on and maybe do in small steps and is achievable versus like do all six core values or do all eight. It's this idea of find one that, especially if you are in a position of leadership formally, you know, um, pick a core value, like not not the three, not the two, just really pick one core value that you think that resonates most of what your division or department needs to achieve and focus on that. And, and what I mean by that is like, uh, for instance, the, the idea of um, accountability, right? We talked about that earlier. That's really taking responsibility, saying, okay, if this was my issue, I, I got to lean into that. Uh, I, it, it, if it's, it's on me, I got to get it done. Um, or if something doesn't happen, I'm not going to play the blame game. I'm going to say, okay, this, this was my responsibility, but how can we make it better? Um, so really leaning into whatever that that responsibility is. And here's the second part, especially in relationship. So this is something my chairman did. When we when we really, because the conversation wasn't even, I think we knew it and felt it when I talked about the accreditation story. But over the years, we've made it very clear, this is what we're focusing on. It wasn't just like, wow, that was, we can come together, we're good people. It's like, no, we're really focusing on accountability here. And how is that showing up in how we, teach our residents, how is that showing up in what we're doing for getting our our curriculum together, right? Are, are we making sure that everything is on time when people ask so that our exams have no problems? Little things like that, right? That it it, it, it plays out in different ways, but focusing on one. And the, the other part of that is that it kept, he kept talking about it. I keep talking about it. Other people keep talking about it. And it's this idea that you can have lunch and say, okay, like, I'm not saying let's talk about accountability at today's division meeting. It's Hey, this this is an experience that I've had, and it, it comes throughout time, so that it's part of the conversation. Yeah, because I guarantee—I'll be very honest. I I know those values because we talk about them, but we can have core values up on a website. We can do all these things, but if it isn't part of normal conversation, and it doesn't have to be so, Erin, I was accountable today, and you know, it's just <laughs> like, hey, I did this. I met my deadlines. Wow, that isn't you know, as a leader, reflect that back. Yes, say that. That's a great example of being accountable. Awesome. Yep. It's it's not as simple because you have to listen, you have to be observant. 
But that's what I might suggest for anyone in a leader position that's really trying to reflect back what you're focusing on so that yes. people see it and that you they know you see it. Yes. You know? And you notice it more once you're looking for it. You know, that phenomenon with yes. if you're looking, yes. you know, when you're shopping for a new car and, and you see all the ones that you're, you know, that you're considering buying, like, oh, there's like four million of these cars out on the street. It's because you've primed your brain to look for them. And I feel that that works yeah. with <laughs> with behaviors as well, right? Like, uh, you know, we're talking about accountability and you're seeing this and then suddenly you have that wonderful positive kickback feedback loop of, well, now I'm seeing it everywhere I look. And it could be something as simple as the, you know, a message gets passed along in a timely way or, you know, the, the big accreditation report is due, is uh, turned in a week early, whatever it is. It's, you notice it in, in ways big and small. Uh, yes. And Erin, you are, I don't know if this has been reflected back to you if we're going to talk about this. The, uh, you are talented and skilled at analogies. I oh. love that. <laughs> well, because I, I know I drive a Honda Pilot and I notice those Honda Pilots on the road. So uh, you are skilled at analogies. Oh, well, you know, when you have an arts degree in a health professions institution, you got to weave it in wherever you can <laughs> nice. there. <laughs> nice. But thank awesome. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so we ask all of our guests this question, and it can be related to what we're talking about or something completely different. Is there something now that you think is moving the needle in higher education? Yes, uh, and, and, and in my in my view, so I think professional identity formation is something that's really important, and and I'm I'm sharing this in a way that I think it's it's one of those things that uh, actually, if you look at it, there there is a there's some research. I think when we were looking at it, it's I think nursing has some, medicine has some, dentistry not a whole lot. There is a little bit, but. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it back ten thousand world uh, like what is it ten thousand you're the analogy master was it ten thousand <laughs> foot, foot view, view? thank you yeah. thanks Aaron I, I, now I know who to go like I need an analogy let me talk to Aaron <laughs> um, the ten thousand foot view so we we have a world uh, where we have so many different opinions um, and I get the sense you know even with our younger generations there's this lack of a sense of identity right. And, and us at the, you know, at UMB, like I said, it's this, this next level We're we're professional schools, you know, and I think that something that maybe was just assumed before, if you are a physician, if you are a lawyer, a social worker, whatever it might be, an educator, there was a certain, that there was an identity associated with that. And, and again, I'm not saying all dentists are the same or whatever, but it's this idea of this professional identity. And I think when, when we look at the research, and it's actually going to be working with some people at my school to, to do a scoping, or working now on doing a scoping review regarding that in dentistry, um, is this idea that we can build that into curricula, right? So we can build that idea of saying, hey, new learners, when they're, they're more open, and you know, I, I don't know what admissions criteria you use, but something we use in our residency when we're looking for applicants is how teachable are, are these potential residents of ours? And when you have that and you can integrate what it truly means from University of Maryland's idea of professional identity for a dentist or a physician, let's, let's incorporate it. And, and, but it's one thing is like, well, we, you may say we do that, but I mean really being intentional about that. Yeah. And then the second part is that I think it's exactly this conversations we've been talking about is this idea that 
if we teach it, we all, you know, uh, what is it? Um, again, analogy or sayings. I'm sorry. It's like, uh, you got to practice that. You got to practice what you preach, right? So we can teach it, but if we don't do it, but if we are set into our culture and whatever it is, whatever that is and saying, this is what it means to be a general dentist professionally. This is what it means to be a pediatric dentist. This is what it means to be whatever embodying that and doing that, um, uh, how do I put it? Students, especially the younger gender, they are smart. They're quick. They're, um, I don't know if I can say in the, the, this podcast, but I'm going to say they, they can, I think they can spot BS, Yeah. you know, uh, you know, and, and when we do that, so if we embody that truly what we believe our profession needs to be incorporated into curriculum. So, and th- there's this, there's this field about uh, professional identity formation. So I, your question was about what moving the needle, right? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the name of the podcast. What can move it? Yeah. I, let's invest in. Right. Yeah. And, and, and here's, okay. This is, this is the, I think why this is so powerful to me is because when we do that, it's professional identity formation. But what we do here, especially when you're in an environment where you actually want to be part of something, you you want to do the flips here. You want to ex- be uh, not just hold on to the bar to pay the bills, right? When you're in an environment like that, it starts flowing out to your other parts of your life. How I how I uh, work here is affecting, I think, in a positive way how intentional I am with parenting my children, being being. Uh, a husband to my wife, you know, my friends, uh, co- the colleagues that aren't in the dental school, right? Like Aaron, you, uh, you and me talking, like it's, it starts to flow out in other areas that it's because you're, you're, it's this practice of like practice. With you, it's, it's doing what you truly believe and then teaching it down. And it just, it has this ability to spread everywhere in other parts of your life for the better. In one of our interviews earlier, we interviewed Martha Ertman, who is also on Leap. She's in the law school. And she was describing a strategy she uses um, when she puts her students in groups that, uh, and she's asking them to work on a problem or think about a case. She calls the groups the way you would name a law firm. So it'd be like Hager, Canaris, oh. and Jones. Uh, what do you think about about this? So just that little act of them feeling like they're partners in a law firm and their name is on the door, um, you know, just adds to that sense of professional identity. And she she described it almost as an aside, you know, she just and I said, whoa, 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 that is so amazing because it's mm-hmm. it's coming up more and more, especially in the in the realm of inclusive teaching. Right. This idea of helping students see themselves, imagine themselves in the field, you know, that they're that they're even if they're not going to be in that field, if it's an undergraduate, right? Like just, just imagine you could see yourself here because I can see you there. And so who knows what that could open up for a kid, for a, for a student. Oh, I love that so much. That gave me goosebumps when you just said that actually. Isn't that a cool Uh, idea? I mean, I just, I was just like, like, whoa, I'm so glad she said that on this. Very great. So just Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. This has been the most enjoyable conversation. And uh, I am so excited to share it with our listeners. Thank you. You're very welcome, Erin. This has been a joy for me too. Um, I hope I hope your listeners get something out of this. I have. Thank you for joining us today on Moving the Needle. Visit us at umaryland.edu slash FCTL to hear additional episodes, leave us feedback, or suggest future topics. 
We'd love to hear from you.